This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome back to Behind the Markets here on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, joined via the phone by Lee Chen Ren, uh, as well as Mark Chandler, who's a managing director, chief market strategist at Bannockburn Global Forex. Mark has been a good friend of the program over the years. He's been covering global capital markets for more than 30 years, including head of currency strategy at both HSBC, Brown Brothers, Harriman, uh, and also the widely followed blog, Mark to Market. Mark, thanks for joining us on the program today. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, so maybe tell us, uh, your, I know you've been focusing a little bit on China, what's going on there. It's a big, big story, but uh, give us your overall view of the world, what's been happening uh, as you look at the markets, the economy, and, and for sure, I know you cover Forex. So uh, give us your, your, your top-down world view here. So I guess in a big picture, I think that uh, we're all struggling with the two big forces. On one hand, we've got the economic shock from the COVID crisis and uh, the economic hit that it's, that's going to produce. I mean, we're going to get... Uh, uh, U.S. GDP at the end of July, and I'd say estimates look like down 30 to 40 percent. And uh, so, on one hand, then you have this bad economic news, still a lot of uncertainty with the with the with the uh, virus. On the other side, though, you have a, a bigger and more powerful force, and that's just the liquidity that the central banks and the spending that the governments are doing. Uh, in the U.S., they practically replaced lost income, uh, say through the second quarter. Uh, we've seen this in other countries as well. And so what this is doing, in effect, is this liquidity is what's driving up the financial assets. And by that, I mean the risk-taking assets. Like in the currencies, we think of it as like the Australian dollar or the Swedish krona, uh, the Canadian dollar, the Mexican peso, uh, emerging markets more broadly. And so I think that uh, these forces, I think, are still in play. And that's what we're sort of bouncing in between. But the idea that the stock market has become decoupled from Main Street. I think that's sort of like a dog bites man story. Uh, we've been there before. I mean, in February, people were saying the same thing on the upside. So I'm not so sure that the stock market has to reflect the moment in time that the economy finds itself. Yeah, uh, and and so when you when you look at what are what is going on in in currency markets, how do you say you know the sort of forces everybody's doing uh, stimulus, liquidity, relief measures around the world? Um, how do you think about the long term trends we've been seeing you know across those the, the global currency markets? Yes, yeah, so I think that what this means in the uh, this liquidity injection really means that we uh, global investors don't need the dollar the way they did in March and April. And so I think what this means is that the dollar, I sort of had the dollar in this big uptrend uh, since, uh, I don't know, uh, 08, 09, sort of in the heart of that financial crisis. And I think that super cycle was coming to an end. And we had one more, uh, like, last push. And that was triggered by the COVID back in March and April. But I think that 
I sort of think of the currency as a bit like a cascading, like a waterfalls. And so about a year ago, the Swiss franc's 50-day moving average moved below the 200-day. This week, the, the dollar index turned. Uh, we've got most of the other major currencies except sterling and the uh, uh, Australian dollar and Canadian dollar. Uh, the other ones have, have turned. And uh, I think that that, coupled with this big rally in gold we've had above $1,800 at nine-year highs or so, I think all these things uh, are adding to this downward pressure that I think is just gently pulling the dollar lower. Because remember, there's still $12 trillion or so of negative-yielding bonds in Europe and Japan. And so there still is an, still is, seems to be a bid, and I think that's what we saw this week in the Treasury auctions in the U.S., our 30-year bond was auctioned, and it was oversubscribed two to one. And the yield was uh, near, the, near like 130 basis points. So I think all these forces, bottom line, pushing the dollar lower. But it's not a, a crisis of, the, of a dollar crisis or anything like that or reserve status or vehicle currency. I just think it's one of these cyclical forces that will pull the dollar back down. Uh, and, and now in China, which is one of the big things, um, how, how do you see the developments? That, give us your, your big picture worldview on China and, and what, what's happening with our relationship with China. Well, so I'm in that kind of camp that thinks that we're in a Cold War with China. And that what that means is it's not just like theatrics, but it's, it's, it's really meant to say that that division between that competition between the U.S. and China is going to be a major like line drawn through global institutions, global issues. And I think that the, I never was thought that the trade phase one was a very good idea. I like the U.S. sticking to rules and procedures and not focused on specific outcomes. And it does seem to me that as time has gone on, people are coming more around to the idea that China is unable to, or and partly unwilling to reach the, the quantitative targets. Uh, I think that the uh, this, this this story that was out this week about uh, how uh, some people in the State Department uh, are thinking about ways that we could uh, retaliate, express our dissatisfaction with what China is doing in Hong Kong, and the idea that the U.S. would somehow sabotage uh, the peg or make it harder for banks to trade uh, Hong Kong dollars, I think is really uh, like a nothing burger. I think people are brainstorming, I and mean, this is supposed to be a good exercise for people to do in decision-making. Brainstorm, get all the ideas out there uncensored, and then look at what you really have. And I think that, 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 that this was leaked. It tells me more about the leakers than it does about that this was like some idea that was thrown out there. Yeah, I mean, the sort of the, the, the long term sort of quote unquote Cold War is going to be interesting. You know, for sure, the it's not one side of the U.S., the Democrats, Republicans that seem to be taking a much harder line against China. It, it, it seems to be coming from them at both sides. So, I mean, it's interesting to hear where, you know, how this is all going to play out over over really over the ne- over the long term here. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that the competition is serious, but. I think that the U.S. model, the flexibility that it shows, uh, and I think that uh, I think gives it an advantage. I think the U.S. has uh, a demographic advantage, and I think that China. Many people see uh, President Xi as like ten feet tall, president for life, and all this power. But I sort of see a lot of uh, strategic, uh, say, questionable moves that would undermine China's longer-term strategy. 
what, what's happening in Hong Kong is going to make it much harder to reconcile with Taiwan. Uh, China had an opportunity to, put, to have a fork between uh, the U.S. and Europe, and the U.K.'s decision on uh, Huawei, I think it may be even early next week, but it seems that they're clearly moving away uh, the, the, under the Tory leadership, moving away from sort of a more pro-China stance they had taken. I think Europe is very frustrated. And you know what's amazing to me is Australia. They are really uh, going out of their way now, I think, to antagonize the Chinese, trying to recruit Hong Kong people who want to leave, understandably. Uh, they're uh, very critical of China, and, uh, and they're trying to deal with the cyber attack that Australia is claiming is coming from China. Australia has just hired, according to an article in the Financial Times, something like 600 cyber people on their side. It's almost like a, a new army. I know we're talking about a space force, but in effect, Australia is putting together a, a cyber force. Let me reintroduce our guest here. We're talking with Mark Chandler of Bannockburn Global Forex. We've got Li Chen Ren. Li Chen, I, I want you to jump in here. You know, coming from China, what's your sense of all this that Mark's talking about? What, what's your sense of the, the long term, uh, you know, challenges that the U.S. and China are having together? Maybe give us your your, your read of the situation. Hey, Mark. Um, thank you. Um, I actually enjoyed Mark's note, and a couple points. I have some questions as well. Um, I, I think that generally I, I agree in this assessment, but Mark, like from from the, your point of view, were the sanctions more mirrored against the Russian and uh, 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 Iran situation, or, or it will be a little bit different? Because uh, you know, from the pegging uh, point of view, it's really what Hong Kong's uh, monetary, um, you know, their kind of a central central bank uh, organization that has more power on whether. The peg, you know, will be effective. But what I'm what I'm saying is, like, how, how do you see those views? I, I th- so I think that the uh, the Hong Kong peg is fascinating because just when you would think that the uh, uh, the U.S. talking about taking away Hong Kong's special privileges, uh, trade privileges, uh, people talking about uh, the brain drain from Hong Kong, the Hong Kong dollar continues to strengthen, forcing the HKMA to sell Hong Kong dollars and buy U.S. dollars so the dollar doesn't really weaken much more. And Hong Kong stocks have fully participated in this rally. And the part I think what's going on, I think it's really tied, I think, to your, to your idea about the sanctions. And, but the sanctions that here that are important are the ones that may limit Chinese companies' listings in the U.S. And so several of them have had big IPOs in Hong Kong. And so that... In a, attracts not only international money, but it attracts mainland money into Hong Kong. And so this is, it's almost a, uh, a virtuous circle. I think many people in the West think that the idea of one country with two currencies is not really sustainable in the long term, and that Beijing might not really want that. And so I think that the, uh, the idea that the U.S. would frustrate and force Hong Kong to break its peg with the dollar would only, I think, would expedite what maybe Beijing might want to do in the long run. So if the, uh, if the RMB is not tied to the dollar, could it be tied to the CNH or CNY, for that matter, which is very low volatile currencies? These, I think the PBOC has done an incredible job of keeping the RMB tied to the U.S. dollar, a very narrow band. I think that in the past month, the RMB might be the first or second strongest of the emerging market currencies. 
We've yeah, talked a well, little bit about that sort of listing issue, Lee Chen. Maybe I, it's sort of an interesting question, like what the U.S. has to gain by these companies going to raise capital in Asia versus the U.S. It's sort of an interesting fight. Um, and, and Lee Chen, maybe give your quick perspective on on the accounting intricacies, you know, that, that yeah. over three years, these companies may have to delist from the U.S. and list in Hong Kong um, or other global capital markets. But uh, what, what's your read of, of that situation? Yeah, so uh, first, I and you know my views, uh, I do believe that risk is significantly lower than uh, the risk that was uh, mentioned, Mark mentioned, in terms of the, the Hong Kong dollar uh, trading. Um, first, I think the pegging is also different from trading. You know, even if Hong Kong dollar, you know, the peg uh, is loosened a little bit, as long as Hong Kong dollar can be exchanged into U.S. dollar, very easily, that still is, you know, the holy grail. Uh, I think a pegging compared to that is, but but this um, related accounting issue, it's actually uh, a very subtle issue um, in the sense that a, a, a Chinese company that's listed in the U.S., their um, auditors, uh, at least it's a gray area, but for now China is kind of saying that the auditors cannot send these documents, the intermediate documents. You can send the final auditor report, but you cannot send the intermediate report to the SEC. Now, the fight is not these companies are, you know, purposely not wanting to give the U.S. investors uh, information. The fight is really, can the U.S. Uh, SEC be the regulator of those auditors or the Chinese equivalent to be the auditor of those companies. So I think a lot of media of saying these Chinese companies are, you know, bad companies, that, that's not really the risk there. Now, there are things that are moving on the ground. First, uh, China recently softened, softened a little bit. There's a high official who kind of came out and say like, no, we never see that. You can still send, you know, some intermediate uh, reports. But of course, it's just one official. It's not official policy. The second thing that's moving is that the larger companies like Baidu, NetEase, um, uh, they, they've, they've already, or, or, or Alibaba, they've already uh, taken into this account. So if you actually read their uh, accounting uh, documents by detail, every year they've disclosed this risk. And um, Alibaba um, last December uh, already listed in Hong Kong. Now, there are two reasons they listed there. The, the, the first reason is, you know, in case U.S. says this thing cannot be worked out with the Chinese government, you know, they have to delist from New York Stock Exchange. Then Alibaba's Hong Kong share will be still, you know, uh, an option for international investors. And the second reason is, is also that um, if they don't list in Hong Kong Stock Exchange, they are missing out. Uh, from the mainland investors who have a lot of interest in this. So actually, even before this whole issue happened, there are a couple of Chinese uh, companies. One of them is called Apple Tech. I, I knew it uh, a very in much detail because of some personal connection. Um, they delisted in the U.S. and then are uh, separately listed as, as three companies. Uh, two of them is in Hong Kong. So this issue is actually you know much more headline risk than headline, uh, much more headline news, not necessarily headline risk for investors. The real risk is really will the Hong Kong dollar still be in existence and will still be easily trans, um, you know, traded 
with U.S. dollars. Uh, that is really the holy grail, I think. Do, do you think it's a political issue, whether the Hong Kong dollar stays pegged or stays uh, convertible, since the Hong Kong Monetary Authority has something like, what, uh, it's, o- it's, it's overly backed, the Hong Kong dollar? Yeah, so I I, I think uh, because that issue won't come up until 2047, uh, and it's not very clear uh, in, in all these legal rules, it's not never clear. So, it's, so there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, Expressions that could happen in 2047, which is you know still 27 years ago, uh, 27 years later. But I think the tag issue, um, I don't, I, I don't believe the risk is so high that you know the Chinese government wants it un- unpacked. Um, at, at least so far, I haven't seen much talk about about that. The talk, most of the talk in China is about. Um, the, the Chinese banks, the, the top Chinese banks, they may face um, U.S. sanctions on dollar, their dollar trading. And that would impact, um, of course, China, also in some way U.S. as well, because imports and ex- exports between U.S. and China are mostly cleared by these top banks. And if you don't allow them to you know, access the dollar trading market, then you know, U.S. imported exports will also run some of the issue. Of course, uh, th- that that is why this I I, I believe the the operational details is is probably what the administration is uh, trying to work a fine line. They they don't you know they want to write the rules, but at the same time, you know, U.S. and China does have a you know pretty strong economic uh, connections, but how to also protect the U.S. Uh, side. I mean, the the interesting, I, and this is this may be just reading too much into all the this stories, but it also this sort of interesting that talking about additional sanctions coming from the U.S. that could be a crimp on sentiment. At the same time, you're hearing uh, sort of papers in China talking about the great bull markets and encouraging more trading and, and capital markets and, and sort of a flood of activity that's that's caused the, the A shares to rally like 10 percent or more in a, in a week. Um, any is that is that timing conveniently, Chen, or, or how, what do you think about that? There are so many um, conspiracy theories. Um, I, I believe the China market is similar to the U.S. market. It's just a huge giant pool of money right now. Liquidity is driving it, right? Money is fluid. You know, U.S. has pumped so much money. China has pumped that much less. And this money is going to go somewhere. Um, in terms of trading, like if you trade through stock exchange, then certainly those dollars are fluid. It's not like you buy it, you cannot sell it right away. And that is, again, you know, go back to the risk. If um, you know, the Hong Kong dollar and the U.S. dollar suddenly became not really exchanged, then that becomes a reality. The, you know, the dollar you put in to buy those Chinese equities in Hong Kong and through Hong, through stock connectors through Hong Kong uh, of the China issues, you wouldn't be able to get the dollar out. Right now, I don't think uh, that is the main driver. You know, the main driver in China is, is the market is, is still mainly similar is here. You have this huge liquidity and the Chinese, um, the economy is not doing as well. You know, some statistics suggest, you know, only 25% of the new graduates got any job also right now uh, in China. So, but it's not, 
you know, catastrophe. So, you know, people in China, you know, money needs to go somewhere and they don't want to, um, the, the government doesn't want another property bubble. And, and you know, so they, they don't want, they, they, and for a long time in China, people are saying like, well, the U.S. market has, you know, gone up so much. How can our market has not gone up? So the government is not saying, you know, not, not you know, discouraging but in the last couple of days, the tone has shifted a little bit, actually. We, we have a little, just we probably only have time for one more response here, Mark. I mean, maybe I'll, I'll let you have the closing thoughts. Any uh, big picture China or on, on other things that you're focused on as you go into the second half of the year? Things that you think will impact risk markets uh, anywhere? Well, the one thing that we hadn't talked about is uh, politics, perhaps for good reason. But my my sense is that people are beginning to uh, asset managers, even corporations, begin to think about. I think for the first time more seriously, uh, what it could mean for not only a Biden victory in the White House, but even if the Democrats get control of both houses. What does it mean for tax policy? I see debates beginning to uh, heat up about the impact on stocks, what a corporate tax hike might mean to uh, stocks. And also we have another two other key uh, political issues coming up. One is whether the EU can get a unanimous decision on a recovery plan and that decision is about a week a week out from now, and we've got still the UK and the uh, the EU trying to negotiate a trade agreement. And both sides seem to really have uh, sticking sticking you know st- sticking to tough positions that make a compromise look difficult. But perhaps that's just one of those things that happened at the last moment. Yep. Well, th- and thank you so much for joining us. We had Mark Lee Chen. It's been a great show. Thanks for producer Patty Hall, sound engineer Dion Simpkins. You can listen to us on our Behind the Markets podcast every week. Have a, a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM Channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.